You are listening to episode 16 of Captain's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 43, Jet System, 2372, April 6th. It took us closer to four stands to match velocities. I called the crew to stations at 1700 and briefed them on the ship's announcer. Mr. Ricks was on the lock, and Chief Gearhart had prepped and run up the emergency coupling that would allow us to lock nose to nose. Between Mr. Paul's astrogation and Mr. Schubert's delicate hand on the helm, we came into position with zero delta velocity between the two ships, lined up at just over 20 meters. We'd hold, and the sarcastic voice would nudge in. While we, arguably, had better air, they had less mass and more responsive thrusters. They'd have the better chance for a good first lock. Miss Thomas turned from her station. We have zero delta V, Captain, ready to commence docking. Signal our partner, Miss Thomas, and let's start the dance. Aye, aye, Captain, signaling now. She hit a key. Signal sent and acknowledged, Captain. I sat back in my chair and tried to look nonchalant. Nobody sneeze. Mr. Paul chuckled, and I heard Mr. Schubert sniff back a laugh. Miss Thomas announced, They're coming now. Delta V of minus one meter per second. We watched as a smaller craft moved closer to us. Minus half meter per second. The helm on the other ship did an excellent job in cutting their relative motion just as the two ships bumped. We felt the nudge, but it was barely more than we got on docking. Miss Thomas reported, Locks engaged. She paused. Seal is good. On the run-in, we'd explained that we wanted to keep as much of the bad air on their ship as possible, and that we'd be using the locks to isolate the two ships to minimize the load on our scrubbers by not bringing a lot of bad air with them. I got up from my chair. Steady as she goes, people. I'm going to go greet our guests. I scampered down the two ladders and jogged to the brow just as the first of the party was entering our lock. I peeked through the viewport and saw three older couples, each pair with one of the smaller ship's mattresses. They were in light-duty emergency ship suits, and their skin looked a little gray through the nearly transparent material. Chief Gearhart sidled up and peeked through beside me. Think they've got assault weapons in those mattresses? Her voice was almost a whisper, and I choked back a laugh. Air has been replaced, Skipper. Open it up, Mr. Ricks. Opening the lock, aye, aye, Captain. The latches clanked slightly, and the inner doors swung up. Our guest shuffled tiredly aboard, and stood looking a bit lost and bewildered. Come in, ladies and gentlemen. Just follow this passage down, and Mr. Wyatt will take care of you. I pointed down the passage, and Mr. Wyatt waved from the door of the mess deck. They shuffled down the passage, and Mr. Ricks cycled the lock closed again. Two more groups of passengers came through. The next were younger and a bit more fit-looking, but still not looking very lively as they shuffled off, each pair dragging a mattress with them. Each group got sent down the passage where Mr. Wyatt was serving a light meal and plenty of fluids. The noise was growing as each new group joined the gathering throng. The last group through consisted of five officers, including a very tired-looking woman wearing gold stars on her collar. The inner lock opened, and they stepped through in good order. The captain saluted the ship and then me. I returned the honor before taking her hand. Welcome aboard, Skipper. She smiled tiredly. Thank you, Captain. I don't think words are enough to express just how grateful we all are for your assistance. Eh, timing is everything, Skipper. We happen to be in the right place at the right time. I held a hand out to indicate the passage. Your passengers should be getting something to eat and drink. Shall we join them? I led the way with Captain Allison beside me. 
Chief Gearhart fell in beside a stocky man with engineering flashes on his collar. Mr. Ricks cycled the lock closed and secured it as we headed toward the gathered party. Mr. Wyatt had lined up the mattresses on the deck and against the bulkheads so the visitors could sit and lean on something. The table was serving as a combination buffet and workstation with several of the more lively-looking passengers helping to make more sandwiches and ladle soup into china mugs. As Captain Allison took in the scene, I could see the tension begin to seep out of her frame. I turned to the group behind me. Please, help yourself. We'll get something to eat and drink. Breathe a little bit, then we'll get our heads together to see what the next step is. I put a hand on Captain Allison's arm to get her attention. Why don't you and I and our engineering betters grab some food and adjourn to the cabin? We can put our heads together there. She nodded, and I saw the two engineers already had their heads together. I headed for the soup line myself, but Mr. Wyatt caught my eye and nodded to two covered trays on the sideboard. I thought you might like to leave this little operation to us, Skipper. Thank you, Mr. Wyatt. Very thoughtful of you. I grabbed one tray, Chief Gearhart grabbed the other, and we led the way back out of the hubbub and up the ladder to the cabin. I popped open the door and deposited my tray in the head of the small conference table. Captain Allison followed me in, but the view of her ship just outside the port drew her like a magnet. The packet had a much lower keel-to-ridge profile, so her bridge was right outside the armor glass, and not more than ten meters away above a gently curving bow. She was smiling, and if there was a glitter in the corner of her eye, I didn't see it, and I got busy with the two chiefs to make sure they didn't either. In just a few heartbeats, we had plates of sandwiches, mugs of soup, and even a carafe of coffee distributed. Captain Allison turned back to us. I don't get to see her from this view very often, Captain. One of the ironies of shipboard life. You see everybody else in action, but seldom see yourself unless you're tied up someplace and not doing anything. I remembered my manners then and indicated Chief Gearhart. Captain Allison, let me formally introduce my chief engineer, Gretchen Gearhart. The two women shook hands briefly. Call me Allie, Chief. Greta. Captain Allison turned to me, and let me introduce you to my chief, Richard Green. I offered my hand, and he took it in a businesslike grip and nodded politely. Rick works for me, Skipper. Call me Ishmael. I grinned at their reactions and some memories of my youth. I realized they were waiting for me to sit, and I hurriedly took a seat at the head of the table, helped myself to a bite of sandwich so they'd not feel constrained by protocol. The short flurry of replenishment ended rather quickly. So let's open up this can of worms, shall we? Seeing general nods around the table, I turned to Captain Allison. What's the condition over there? Scrubber's at 10% and failing. CO2 is approaching critical. You can breathe it still, but for some of those people, like the Carols and the Wassings, they weren't doing all that well when we picked them up, she shrugged. The Scrubber's just aren't engineered for that level of abuse, and we burned through our filter cartridges and nothing flat. We even picked up a few more at the outpost, but they weren't exactly in first-rate condition. They failed within a day or two. I could see Chief Gearhart's wheels turning as the sapphire flashes of her eyes went back and forth between watching what the captain was saying and the expression on her chief's face. When the captain finished her report, Greta looked at me with a small nod. I turned to our guests. Okay, then, it seems to me that our first priority is to clear that CO2 load out of your ship. We don't want to add cleaning your bad air to the load already on our scrubbers. Can you vent most or all of your air now that the ship's not full of people? Replenish with a good mix? The captain looked to the chief, who nodded in return. Should be easy enough now that we don't have to work around passengers, Captain, but then what? Then we can open the locks between the ships and your people can sleep in their own beds. 
we can set up some blowers to move the air between us and send to the orbital for some replacement cartridges. Chief Green blinked. Can your scrubbers handle us? Greta smirked. We're a tad over-engineered for a crew of eight, Chief. I think when the hall was built, they expected a crew of 40, and they built scrubbers for each of them. I nodded. What they didn't build was bunks. We're going to get awfully cramped in here with all of your people on mattresses in the passages and mess deck. Captain Allison looked down at her hands where they cradled the almost empty mug of soup. As crowded as we all were on the voice, I'm not sure they won't see this as a step up, Skipper. But you're right, one step at a time. She started to rise. Take a break, Allie. She looked at me. We'll be all better off if we do this right and carefully the first time. Too much haste gets in the way of making good speed. Chief Gearhart snorted but hid her face in her coffee mug. Chief, can we make any way with the ships tied together? How solid is that coupling? The two chiefs looked at each other, obviously trading secret engineering wisdom telepathically. They got the same pained grimace almost at the same moment. They broke their mind meld, and she turned to me. That's about what you'd expect if we were docked, Captain. It'll hold us against minor jolts and stresses, but... Chief Green added a bucket of cold water to my already sopping blanket. And if you've got to keep the locks open to keep the air moving, then you won't want to risk breaking the seal. We could both lose a lot of air before they closed. I leaned over in my chair to get a better look at the bridge repeater at the top of my desk. Well, we're basically on a ballistic trajectory now, with a decent delta V against the orbital. We can coast along for a while, I guess. Chief Gerhardt turned to her counterpart. How long would it take you to vent and replenish your air? Three or four stands. As long as we're suited up, we can flush it with nitrogen and keep hull pressure without having to worry about vacuum damage. Greta grinned. The Verminator Protocol. Green grinned back. Exactly. Periodically, ships needed to do a complete fumigation to rid themselves of the odd stowaway vermin that had followed man into space. That was usually done by flushing all the breathable air from the ship and filling it with nitrogen gas, sometimes laced with a fungicide. It was usually done while the ship was docked and all the systems secured, and the crew safely ashore. But there wasn't anything that would really prevent it from being used in this situation, so long as the people aboard were suited and supplied with oxygen. The nitrogen would push all the carbon dioxide-laden air out and would, in turn, be replaced with a clean mixture. I glanced at the chronometer and nodded. Okay, well, if you two chiefs would get on that, I think we can have these people in their own beds before midnight. Chief Gearhart stood with a nod and said, Aye, aye, Skipper. She was followed by Chief Green. Captain Allison settled back in her chair as they filed out and closed the door gently behind them. She sighed. Now we wait. No. Now... We do paperwork. I grinned. Do you need to send any messages? She shook her head. I notified the owners already, and I've actually got a shipment of scrubber cartridges on the way out by courier. She grimaced. It'll be expensive, but cheaper than the alternatives. Yes, dying is expensive, and there are so many unfortunate forms. <laughs> Amen to that, Captain. Well, I need to send some signals to the owner and our agent on jet. We're going to be a little late to dinner. Sorry about that, Captain, but thank you. I'm glad we could help. I crossed to the desk and started putting together reports to DST's office on jet for forwarding back to the home office on Diurnia. Captain Allison helped herself to another mug of coffee and chewed half-heartedly on the end of a sandwich. I attached a copy of the distress call to my messages and sent them off with the priority routing. It was greed. I looked over to where Captain Allison was looking at me. Captain? We got greedy. 
or perhaps that it's no good deed goes unpunished. I nodded sympathetically. The number of passengers. She grimaced. Yes. We run this junket out to the outpost on a three-legged course. It makes for a nice run with some usually polite passengers. Most of them aren't really high rollers. They just want to think they are. Really? Yeah, the real high rollers take their own yachts. These are people who are just looking for a little adventure. They work all stanier and save for an exotic holiday. Some of them it takes more than a stanier. <sighs> Me? I'd like a nice, quiet vacation on a desert island with no clock and my Rick on call. I must have looked surprised. She chuckled. Oh, yeah, I'm sleeping with my engineer. She paused for effect. We were married about twenty stanyers ago when I made captain. I tell him it's because I know how hard it is to keep good help. <laughs> we shared a quiet laugh. She continued. We had a group ready to head home, almost a full load, but they'd met friends and they all wanted to come home together. Old One-Eye was just about fed up with them, too. They'd run out of funds and were just taking up space at his tables. All they had were their return tickets. One of our sister ships was supposed to pick them off in a few days, but they were in a hurry and the owner said to take them. She shrugged. It started out as just a couple over. By the time we pushed off, it was eight. They must have been very friendly to get the extras into the ship. Where'd they all sleep? With each other, I think. They weren't too concerned about it, and I didn't pry. She shook her head. We'd gone as high as 24. It was a little close, but not dangerous. The model said we should have been able to make it, and we probably would have, but for the contaminated cartridges we got from the outpost. Odin said they'd been slightly used. I should have asked by what. She sighed stood to gaze out the port at her abandoned bridge. It didn't charge me much, and I should have known I got what I pay for out there. I snorted. Not just out there. That pretty much sums up everywhere. She shrugged in agreement. Too true. Conversation lapsed for a time. How soon before the spare cartridges get here from the orbital? Day after tomorrow. She looked positively haunted. Ouch. It was not looking pretty, Ishmael. She looked at me. Thank you. I'm glad we could help. Well, I need to go show the flag. Let them know what's happening. She put her mug back on the tray. And I need to check on my bridge crew to see how we're doing. We split up at the cabin door. She headed down, and I headed up to set Norma watch. Chapter 44. Jet Orbital, 2372, April 15th. We finally docked at Jet around noon on the 15th, five days late and two full days behind the sarcastic voice. The courier rendezvous had gone without a hitch, and with new cartridges, they were able to get their scrubbers back up and running long enough for the short run into the station. They'd been considerate guests, but it felt good to get our ship back. The longer we drifted along with those locks open, the more likely it was that something would go wrong, and I breathed a sigh of relief when we were finally able to secure it and get some sails up. We needed a little more time to get turned around and catch up, and we were just less lively at maneuvering than the lightweight fast packet. We'd already missed the deadline, so it didn't cost us any more, except for a few days of operational expense. As per my agreement with Mr. Hill, I'd picked a can from the available cargoes list while we were still a couple days out. It wasn't anything to write home about, but a good solid cargo of ceramic heat tiles heading back to Diurnia. 
no priority or bonuses, but no deadline to miss and a good base rate. The next day, Mr. Hill snagged a nice little priority can of thruster nozzle liners going in the same direction. Their delivery deadline was nine weeks out, so he had plenty of time on it. Mr. Wyatt was holding out for something decent, and he had some time. Being docked gave us the best data feeds and the highest probability that he'd be able to grab a hot cargo. We agreed that we'd not take any cargo with a deadline closer than the middle of June, which gave us about eight weeks to get from Jet back to Diurnia. I had Miss Thomas declare liberty as soon as we were tied down and cleared customs. First section took first watch, and we settled down to a solid four-day stay. I planned to pull out on the morning of the 21st to give everybody a little break before we headed back to Diurnia. After the run we'd had, we all had earned a little downtime. Around 1400, I got a message from Captain Allison inviting Chief Gearhart and me to dinner, their treat. I found the chief in her office in engineering, finalizing the tankage operations and getting ready to swap out our own scrubber cartridges. Hey, Chief. Captain Allison has invited us to dinner tonight. Feel like a little shore food? She looked up from her terminal, and her sapphire-laced smile beamed over the top. Oh, yes, I'm more than ready for a little shore food, Skipper. She pointed to the scrubbers. And after swapping out those, I'm sure I'm going to have a healthy appetite. What time? 1900 at Adams on the 8th. Oh, ritzy, I'll have to dress. I chuckled. I should probably find something to wear other than a ship suit myself. She squinted at me. I don't know if I'd recognize you in civvies, Captain. I laughed again. I look pretty much the same, but I take your point. I tried to think back and was pretty sure that I had been in uniform since the day I first stepped onto the ship, barring a few stands when we were still docked in Diurnia and when I was asleep. She grabbed the handle on the pallet load of scrubber cartridges and headed over to the scrubbers. Do you need a hand with that, Chief? Why? We have an extra crewman who needs work, Skipper? She looked over at me. I didn't think we had anybody on punishment lately. I shrugged and held up my own hands to show her. I was thinking of these. It's been a while since I got them dirty, and I'm feeling the need for a little penance for missing that priority. It couldn't be helped, Skipper. You and I both know that. But I'm glad for the help. She nodded toward the nearest. This is the one that's due. I started rolling up my sleeves and watched as she cracked open the case and began rummaging around in the innards. Yeah, maybe, but I still feel bad. The insurance will cover the operational costs, but the shares are worth zero on that trip, and everybody worked so hard. That doesn't seem fair. She snorted and pointed. If you'd strip the packing material off three of those for me, Skipper, I'll hand these old ones out. She stuck her head back into the case before waiting to see if I did it. Besides, who said the universe is fair? Her voice echoed inside the scrubber. She had a point, and I set two with a will. The new cartridges were easy to handle and relatively light. The used ones had a slimy texture and were a lot heavier. I laughed when I saw what it had done to my ship suit. She noticed the sludgy smear across my chest and arms and smiled. It'll wash out, Skipper. It's all water-soluble. Yeah, I figured as much. I was just remembering how messy the algae matrices were to change out back on the Lois McKendrick. Now that was a dirty job. You actually changed matrices, Skipper? I was assigned to environmental for a time. I'm not much of an engineman anymore, but I did my share of getting mucky back in my misspent youth. You're just full of surprises, Skipper. She said it with a smile and a little laugh. She stepped back from the scrubber and latched the case closed again. Well, that should hold her for a month or so. I looked around engineering. How's she holding up in general? Any problems coming along? The chief grabbed a rag off the pallet and wiped her own hands as she considered. Nothing I can think of, Captain. 
She's none the worse for wear on the docking, and even the extra load of having 28 extra people aboard for a couple of days didn't change much. The girls are in good shape. I think they like the workout, frankly. She finished her mental inventory with a shake of her head. No, she's going good at the moment. Okay, well, I'm going to go get cleaned up and maybe take a nap before dinner. I grinned. And thanks for the exercise. She snickered. Any time, Skipper. Any time. At 1845, I met Chief Gearhart at the lock. I'd dug out my civvies, and it felt great to be out of a ship suit and in a set of clothes that actually looked like clothing rather than a jumpsuit. Chief Gearhart came down the passage in a stunning black pantsuit with a ruby-red silk blouse and matching pumps. Small sparkles of ruby glinted on her lobes, and the whole effect was staggering. I heard Mr. Ricks stop breathing, which reminded me to breathe myself. She had a small smile, and the sapphire eyes were as dazzling as the rubies on her ears. Well, I'm glad to see I haven't completely lost my touch. Mr. Ricks coughed and tried to pay attention to his console. I just smiled back. No, Chief, I'd say you hadn't lost your touch. I turned to Mr. Ricks. The Chief and I will be the guests of Captain Allison up at Adams on 8. Mr. Ricks, if you'd care to log us out, we should be back in a couple of stands. Aye, aye, Captain. He winked at me, and I had a bad feeling. Chief Gearhart saw it, too, and she snickered quietly. Mr. Ricks keyed the lock for us, and we stepped down onto the dock together. The crisp air of the docks bit into my sinuses and felt wonderful after the weeks of canned air on the ship. Beside me, Chief Gearhart was looking at me with a grin. What, you don't like my air? <laughs> we don't usually keep the ship's temperature this low, Chief. I took a deep breath. It's bracing. Behind us, the lock started to swing closed. We could, Captain. I think some of the crew might complain, but we could. She was laughing at me. I shrugged. I like your air just fine, Chief. Please, could you call me Greta or Gretchen? We're off the ship. Can we be people tonight? She was looking at me very earnestly. I thought about it and took a deep breath. I had to confess to myself, if not out loud, that the idea scared me. Of course, Greta. Thank you? There was a question in her voice. I answered it. Ishmael. She gave me a kind of sideways smile and headed down the docks to the lift. Well then, Ishmael, let's find Allie and Rick. I'm hungry enough to eat one of those scrubber cartridges. One of the new ones or one of the used? She looked over at me out of the corner of her sparkly eyes. You are a sick man, Ishmael. Hey, don't look at me. You're the one willing to chew on a scrubber cartridge. She laughed and we walked a little faster toward the lift. Refreshing or not, the docks were cold. Dinner with Allie and Rick was a comfortable affair, and they treated us to a wonderful meal, with wine and postprandial cordials. It was the first time since taking over the ship I had really let my hair down, actually longer than I cared to remember, if I were to be honest with myself. Being in the company of good hosts and intelligent companions made the evening very lively. We lingered over our drinks until the staff began to look pointedly at the table. In their defense, there was a line at the door, and we were holding up prime space. Adams was a popular place for good reason, but in the prime time of the evening they needed to keep the tables turning over, and we'd been camped for a long time. Allie bowed to a rather pointed sniff from the maitre d' and thumbed the tab, signaling our departure, and we trooped out to the curved orbital passage past a surprisingly long line of diners waiting to enter. Outside we shook hands all around, and Greta and I bid them good night. 
As we were getting ready to head for the lift, Captain Allison stopped me with a hand on my arm. Thank you isn't enough, Ishmael, but thank you. I know you were late to your priority already and all of that, but you came to our rescue and I can't bear to think about what would have happened to us if you hadn't. I just smiled. The memory of the bloated horrors on the Chernyakova came back to me unbidden, and I tried to put them out of my mind. I certainly couldn't sail by you, knowing you were in that kind of danger, even if we'd still been in time. I'm just glad we could help. If we'd managed to get on the course we needed to to make the delivery, we'd never have been in position to help you. I shrugged. Guess it was the right course after all. Still, she was looking a bit moist around the edges. Thank you. If you ever need anything, get in touch, okay? Rick was standing behind her and nodding along with each of her words. I will, and you're welcome. Rick led his captain away, going one direction, and we headed toward the lift in the other. After a few meters, I looked at Greta. That makes me uncomfortable. I just did what anybody would do. Her breath puffed out in a quiet laugh. You think so? I don't. You would have. She looked over at me and shook her head. I'm not a deck officer. It wouldn't be my decision. Okay, hypothetically then, you would have. She considered it for a moment before conceding the point. Yes, okay, I would have. She paused for a heartbeat before continuing. Captain Delman wouldn't have. You really think so? She nodded. I do. I considered that and wondered how any skipper in his right mind would have been able to sail by. My memories of the Chernyakova would not stay away. We were almost to the lift when I remembered to ask a question that I didn't really feel right about asking while aboard. So, what happened to the protective coloration? She gave me one of her crooked smiles, and her eyes flashed. You were right. I didn't need it anymore. Did anybody say anything? What, when I stopped? Yes, and it's rather a striking change. She gave half a shrug. With all the changes on the ship especially with Gwenny not shouting and actually relaxed for the first time since I've known her, and Avery bustling around like a mother hen in the galley? She shrugged again. I think the only one who really was hit hard by it was Billy. Has it been a problem? She wrinkled her nose in contemplation. No, he's just being a bit, I'm not sure what the term is, shy? He gets a bit tongue-tied and nervous. You are a pretty imposing figure, in case you hadn't noticed. She laughed. That's funny, coming from you, Captain, my Captain. Me? I probably would have killed us all flying too close to that planet if it weren't for you. She shook her head. You wouldn't have considered it at all if not for me. I'm just glad I had second thoughts. I pressed the call button for the lift. Do you think we could have made it? She shrugged. I don't know. She took a deep breath and let it out before looking me in the face with those sapphire stilettos. I do know that you made the right choice. The downside risk was just too big, and there aren't any do-overs out there. You miss once, and you're dead. She shuddered and licked her lips. Allie and Rick got lucky, because you made the right choice. She was standing way too close to me at that moment, but luckily the lift dinged and the doors slid open. We stepped aside and let a laughing party of spacers troop out. Several of them smiled at us as they passed. One nodded his head and offered a jaunty, Evening, Captain, as he passed. I stepped onto the lift after Gretchen. I wonder who that was. Who? That spacer. 
He said, evening, Captain, but I don't recognize him. I'm not in uniform. How did he know? She started to laugh and held a hand up to her mouth. You really don't know. I thought about it for a tick as the lift dropped us quickly back to the docks. It shows already. She laughed again. You are a funny man, Ishmael Huang. She looked me in the eyes then. It showed the first time you stepped aboard. But I wasn't captain then, just a jumped-up first mate. She just shook her head and laughed some more as the lift dinged and the doors opened, flooding the car with icy air. I think she laughed all the way back to the ship. Thanks for listening to Captain's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is the Mason's Apron and is used with permission of the artist J.F. Archer. Find this and other works by J.F. Archer at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com. Thank you.